Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers. Appointed over me. According to regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Connor. He is a U.S. Air Force veteran. He served from 2014 to 2017. His MOS was a 2-Alpha 551 Bravo, which was a C-130 crew chief. And he was stationed at Little Rock Air Force Base. And now, he is the Secretary of Veterans Brotherhood, VMC, in the Massachusetts chapter. Connor, how are you doing tonight? Good, sir. Are you? Uh, woke up alive. I can't complain, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you're in the same state as me, so um, I'm getting a little bit of snow, and hopefully you guys don't get the snow on that side, but. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Connor, so uh, we'll get into her. Um, you know, what, uh, what, what drove you to become a, a veteran, and then what drove you to be going to the Air Force instead of everything else? Uh, yeah, so, um. The Air Force was my choice because um, I think throughout, like my brother's two years older than me and throughout, you know, high school, my dad was always busting his balls. He was the, you know, the brother, he was the kid that, uh, you know, was, you know, not as likable as me, I guess, you know, (laughs) I like him now, but uh, my, you know, my dad was always on his ass and uh, he always kind of said, you know, Hey, go join the fucking Air Force or something. And uh, so that was kind of, you know, I, um, thought that was kind of the you know the one option i never really looked into the the army the marine corps or the navy um you know i i a lot of your other episodes i listened to and there was guys that you know they went into the um you know army recruiters office first and then yep. you know the the marine corps guy came down the hallway and said you know what are you doing you pussy come in here type of yep. shit <laughs> and uh but no i just i went straight to the uh air force recruiters office and uh i i didn't really talk to any of the other ones Okay, so you kind of had a mindset to like, hey, this is this is the branch I'm going into, and that's uh, that's the end of that. Yeah, basically. So, um, yeah, prior to that though, I was um, I was like your your skater stoner type kid working at a pizza shop, and that was it. Yep. I tried a semester of college, didn't have enough money to you know continue to the second semester, so uh, that was the option, either um, work or military. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I, and I've said it on some previous episodes, it's just, it's amazing now that I'm getting more, you know, you never really, you know, you never ask guys, like, at least I did when I was in, you know, hey, man, why did you join? You know, why did you sign up? You know, you, are you as dumb as me or whatever? But, you know, yeah. as I'm doing this podcast, I'm finding out a lot of guys were in the same boat as I was, you know, just going nowhere. And that was their answer is just to yeah. kind of join. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I was, you know, not to brag, but I'm pretty sure I was decently intelligent, you know, so I got, I got, you know, pretty high on the ASVAB and then, uh, that was the choice. But, you know, besides that, all I was doing was just skateboarding with my friends and working at a pizza shop, which obviously isn't, you know, 
you know, you're not going far doing that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Unless you're trying to own the place. Yeah. <laughs> so now boot camp. So you went to boot camp, and uh, I think you're the first Air Force guy I had on my show on this side. Where's your boot camp? Where do you go for boot camp? Uh, Lackland in uh, San Antonio. Lackland Air okay. Force Base. Yeah. So Texas, San Antonio, Texas. And you ended up back in this state, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get out to Texas right now, so. Um, oh really? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you know, it's uh, I got a five year old. My wife's like, "Yeah, we're not taking her away from my mother and all that uh, stuff." Yeah. You know, and I don't want to take my mo- my wife's mom with me. So, no. <laughs> so okay, my so, not that old yet. So okay, to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> so how was uh, how was boot camp for you? You know, going from uh, working at a pizza shop and then it sounds like you were you were ecstatic about going to boot camp. So now you're like, yes, finally doing something with myself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I did the, the PT at the recruiting office prior to, and I, I was, you know, an athletic kid. I played, um, high school lacrosse up till senior year. And, you know, I was, I was a snowboarder and I did athletic things. So, uh, and then prior to boot camp, obviously I knew where I was going. So I, I worked out, I ran, uh, you know, hill replete, hill repeats up, uh, blue hill ski area. I ran a lot, lifted weights and, um, so, you know, getting to boot camp, it was, you know, it was, it, it is what it is. You know, yep. the, everybody jokes about the Air Force boot camp, and it is exactly that. It's, it is summer camp, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, we all have our place, and, uh, you know, everybody does joke about the Air Force, but, you know, it's, it's still not that easy. I mean, it's not no. as easy as what we're, you know, I don't want you to downplay it at all either, but, you know, it's just, you know, the Marine Corps were like, hey, we're going to run and eat crayons, you know, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like at Lackland, they do have, um, you know, the Air, the Air Force boot camp does have, you know, their version of whatever all the other branches do. So we do have an obstacle course, yep. you know, I think they actually were changing the height restriction on the on the things recently, which kind of just added adds to the uh, making fun of the Air Force. But um, yeah. They, you know, we have the, you know, the typical, you know, yell at the trainees on the bus, you know, get off, line oh, up, yeah. the, you know, pick up the bag, put it down type of thing. And then um, all the classroom instruction that, you know, obviously you have to learn and then um, daily PT. And then, like I said, the obstacle course, uh, we had a we had a range day, one single range day during boot camp. <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, we had a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot more than that. I think it was, uh, I want to say it was our range day. Or as I remember, I think it was two weeks, like a week of training at the, you know, what we're about to do. And then, you know, you go into what's called like qual week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, we had a little bit more, more freedom for that aspect. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, everybody jokes about it. Like I said, the boot camp and everything else. But, you know, you guys are absolutely, you know, an airplane's not cheap. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. everything else that you guys are using it definitely has a huge role on the boots on the ground and you need, you need to know how to do it. You need to know how to use it and stuff like that. And as a, as a, as a crew chief for an AC one thirty, um, that's a lot of responsibility on you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So did did you, did, did you go into boot camp knowing you're, you're going to be a crew chief or was that kind of like you were something else? And then they gave you that. No, so I actually, uh, I went um, it, as an open category, open mechanical. Um, in the Air Force, you can choose, uh, you can wait for your job, which usually if you're talking to a recruiter, you know, if you want a specific, if you want a helicopter mechanic job, 
and you tell the recruiter that's the only way I'm leaving Massachusetts is if I get a helicopter mechanic job, yep. uh, it will take, you know, six to nine months to a year when one of those spots, you know, so-called open up. Right. Uh, which is funny when you get later in your career and you realize that, you know, they could always use more bodies. So you always wonder, you know, why, why are people <laughs> waiting to join that job? Um, right. Yeah. So I, I chose a category called open mechanical where, you know, under that section, open mechanical, there's a bunch of jobs that I could have been thrown into a right. bunch of different airframes that I could have been thrown into. And, uh, luck of the draw gave me a crew chief job on C-130s. Outstanding. So you go to boot camp San Antonio. So is that where you find out that you're going to be a crew chief or? Yeah, I think it was, um, I think it was actually my, my, um, my MTI, which is our drill sergeant, uh, they, um, the guy, um, I won't drop his name, but he was yep. a crew chief on, uh, B2s. And, uh, basically the, like the, the joke is if you go in as open mechanical, you're going to be a crew chief. Um, okay. they're kind of the, uh, you know, the dumb, like hammer swingers, basically. Yeah. So if you, yeah. you know, it's like, if you go open general, you're going to get security forces. Yep. Uh, so. <laughs> basically oh, yeah. you know, he kind of told me like oh so you're going to be a crew chief and I, you know because i think they uh there was one point i don't i remember remember it vaguely but they were like you know uh you know uh state your job or whatever uh third or fourth week or whatever you, you know state your job so you'd, yep. you'd have you know joe shithead go up there and you know uh trainee sanderson reports his order and he'd say you know my job is you know nuclear tech or whatever yep. and um so when I got up there, I said, uh, you know, open mechanical and, you know, T.I. goes, oh, so you're a crew chief. And I was like, no, sir, open mechanically. He's like, yeah, you're a crew chief. Go sit down. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, our, but, our open stuff, you usually get uh, guys that go in and open, they, they usually get one of three things. You're going to get infantry, culinary specialist, um, or band. Well, no, yeah. I, I, I got to give another one out there, motor T. So, um it sounds like you actually hit it because, I mean, are you happy that you were a crew chief? I mean, that's a, like I said, it's, I, I recently talked to a crew chief on something and I, he really opened up my eyes on just the sheer accountability that you have to hold to yourself just to do that job every day is just, it's amazing in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, uh, you know, happy that I got that job because there's so many other, you know, air force type jobs that I could have got stuck with, you know, I could have been, uh, if I had gone another category, I could have been like a medical records technician or, you know, a yep. pharmacist. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so even knowing now what you didn't know then, you're still happy with what you got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, yep. if I had knowing now, uh, you know, what the job entailed, if I had had all these jobs on a list, I'd probably pick it. Yep. Okay. So after boot camp, uh, you know, where's your, now you went in as air force as active duty or did you go to air national guard? Uh, active duty. Yep. So where was your first duty station then? Yeah. So, um, uh, first off after Lackland air force base, we went yep. to, um, uh, Shepard air force base, Wichita falls, Texas for, uh, training for our tech school, which is, you know, AIT in the army. Yep. Um, and that's where they taught you, you know, how to, uh, I mean, that was basic knowledge. It was like, you know, this is your airplane. There's four engines on it type of thing. Yep. Like very simple knowledge. Uh, it isn't until you get your, to your first base that you actually start learning about, you know, uh, X, Y, or Z aircraft that you're working on. Right. Um, 
So I was there. I think our tech school was like four or five months long. Uh, I was there between like March and July, I think. Um, And then they sent me to Little Rock Air Force Base from there where you do uh, there's two additional weeks of training at Little Rock Air Force Base. Yep. And from there, you, uh, you know, you spread out. So some of your friends that you've been with for, you know, seven months now, they go, uh, you know, to their first duty location, which for some of them was uh, like Mildenhall, England, uh, Dias, uh, Air Force Base, Texas. And then I got lucky and I just had to stay on the same base at Little Rock. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then, okay. So you didn't really want to go anywhere else. <laughs> um, well, obviously, um, so I, I was a, I was a crew chief on C-130s, just yep. the cargo model. Yep. And they have uh, every everybody that goes uh, C-130 crew chief at first, early in their career, you know, we all, we all want to work on AC-130s because that's, you know, the okay. one you hear about, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. So everybody wants to work on AC-130s, and those are down in Florida. So everybody, you know our base of preference is usually, you know, Florida working on AC one thirty. So, but, uh, I, I never met one person that was a crew chief on AC one thirties down there. So, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for correcting me. I didn't realize that there was actually a difference. I know well, I, yeah, every time I see C one, C one thirty, I'm always saying AC one thirty Cause I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. just forgot the A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, I worked on C one, C one thirty, uh, J models. Okay. Um, which is the newer, the newer Lockheed Martin version. Um, um, our props have six blades instead of four, like the H models, the older ones. Okay. And then um, like the older guys. So like the NOM guys worked on like a models and E models and they've progressed throughout the year, uh, throughout the years. And then of course the AC one thirty is the gunship, which is completely, you know, different. uh, It's still a big bird though. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) we actually so we never got to see any of those at Little Rock and we there was like the few time that, uh, you know, because we had like, I think like 70 C-130s on that base, 70 to 90, something like that. Our squad, my uh, maintenance squadron alone had like 14, but um, there's only C-130s. So whenever you saw a different aircraft land on the base, it was kind of like a ooh-ah type of thing. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we had... uh, we had F-22s land and everybody would like, you know, run outside and like, look at it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we, had, um, we actually had AC-130 uh, gunships land and, and uh, you know, park on our tarmac for like a week or so. And yep. we could kind of sneak over and look at the guns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny too, because like it's, it's, so where I live, I live uh, four miles away from an Air Force base. Oh, um, really? Like an Air National Guard base, you know, I'm sure there's full guys there, but um so every now and then, you know, we get the, I call them F-15s because all, in the air, you know, they all, unless it's an A-10, they all look like F-15s to me. You know what I mean? Cause I'm just, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just belligerent, you know? Um, yeah. But when a, uh, let's see, 130 comes in, dude, you can, you can, it shakes my house just coming in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I like even being in the air force, I still can't tell you the difference between like a Marine Corps <laughs> F-18 or an F-22 or F-16 or 15. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you, you you feel my pain. I mean, a little bit more because you were actually in the Air Force, but yeah, you know. <laughs> okay, so if I was about to go, if I was one of your best friends, um, you know, before you joined or or before I joined, and I joined the Air Force, and I'm about to go to Little Rock Air Force Base. What is one thing I'm going to want to do there? Little Rock, um, there's an off road park out there that's pretty fun. Oh, nice. Yeah, they let you drink and drive in jeeps out there, which isn't a good idea, but uh, right. 
which is fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can talk about it now because I'm not in anymore, but <laughs> right. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? That's a good feeling, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody asks you, like, "Oh, do you wish you're still in?" Well, of course, I wish I was still in, but I can't talk about what I can talk about now because I'm not in anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, no, I, I mean, Little Rock's nice. It's kind of. Um, the you know there's areas that kind of look uh like new hampshire-esque you know yep. uh being from mass i don't know if you vacation in new hampshire when you're uh, no i but, do it constantly <laughs> yeah but like you know parts of it look kind of hilly like new hampshire and then you got like your your farmlands like yep. uh and then um the city like the actual city of little rock is pretty cool it's um it's really small like you can walk from one end to the other you know in 10 minutes but yeah a lot of uh, bars and uh, there's a river walk down there and stuff, so it's pretty cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. I actually do a lot of stuff in New Hampshire. Like I, I'm a big off road guy. Um, not so much, not so much vehicles. Um, you know, being this side of the mass, a lot of it's snowmobiles, dirt bikes, and quads and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I actually, I I bought a dirt bike while I was down. So I used to race dirt bikes when I was a kid. Uh, okay. Up here in Mass, so I actually bought one when I was down there. So I uh, I took that out to the off road park. I think. I was letting, I let a buddy, uh, ride it once out there mm-hmm. and, um, he broke it the first thing, like, the first time he, the first person I ever let ride the bike, yep. he broke it. And I was, I was super excited to buy it and finally have a dirt <laughs> bike down there. And then, yep. uh, he broke it. I still don't know what the, what the hell happened to it. I, I, they actually shipped it. Uh, when I moved back home, they actually shipped it back here, uh, for me. Okay. And, um, I was able to like fix it, uh, when I was up here, but ended up selling it, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, um, you know, being somebody that's from a motorcycle club here, it's, it's funny because I work with a guy on my day to day job and he's in, and I'll tell you who, you know, what club he's in at the end of the, at the end of the show, but he's in a really well-known club. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I talked to him all the time and I was telling him, I was like, yeah, I let my brother-in-law take my freaking because I bought a brand new dirt bike at the beginning of this year too, you know, brand new off the line. Uh, I do a lot of trail riding. So I bought a, a Kawasaki 230R. It's made for the okay. trails and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I let a friend of mine take it and he hit a triple with it. And these trail bikes are not, as you know, are not made to go hitting triples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when he landed, he, he, you know, he bent my rim a little bit. I mean, not something I can beat out of it, but you know, at least, uh, he kind of lived by the code. He's like, you know, I took your bike, I'll fix it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, I was telling the story to the guy I work with that his, he's in a motorcycle club. He's like, fuck that. I don't care if they're Donald Trump. They're not taking my fucking bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny how it, uh, you know, you take the dirt and go to asphalt and everything changes a little bit on the bikes. But Yeah, yeah. I think, it, I mean for you know a new dirt bike nowadays i don't know what you paid for it's seven eight grand but uh you know i get the the harleys are a little more expensive yeah i'm actually it's it's funny that uh you know i'm fighting with my wife right now and uh i've always wanted a a a street bike right yeah but i know i cannot survive my life to the fullest if i get a crotch rocket that makes any sense yeah yeah like so like my last speeding take was 72 and a 25 and i did that with a ford e 350 van yeah so you put me on a crotch rocket uh, you know <laughs> i'm yeah. out of here so yeah. you know I, my wife said that to me one time she goes well if you get a harley if you come home with a harley you're gonna be you know you're gonna be single again and i kind of told her i was like well i'm not gonna be single for long if i bring in no, the right harley home you know but <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so now you get out. I mean, that's pretty much you get out of the Air Force. Um, and then is that when you come home, or did you stay out in Little Rock a little bit? No. So actually, uh, I was I was med boarded while I was in. Okay. Uh, yep. A, a whole another story. I'll tell you a little bit, but yep. you know, we can do a whole separate podcast on on me getting out of the Air Force. Yeah. No. I mean. Well, we'll do it all tonight. I don't really care. I mean, yeah. I know you told me a little bit prior to the show and uh, what happened with you. It's like, yeah. So uh, while I was down there, I had um, I, I I got sick. Um, you know, at the time, I thought it was like flu-like symptoms. Um, went to the on-base doctor, and they said um, one. You know, it's a uh, Asian guy. I forget his I forget his name, but he was you know first lieutenant or captain doctor on uh, the air force base clinic. And he said, okay, you might have a, uh, they did an EKG and they said, you might have a a heart murmur. So I said, okay, I don't know what that is. Cool. Uh, They, they told me that I um, should get a referral to a cardiologist. So I went to referral management in that same clinic and uh, they gave me a number to a cardiologist who said it was going to be like two weeks. Um, time until i can get an appointment there so i was like okay no problem again i I thought i was just you know had the flu or whatever but they wanted me to get seen for this and uh so i went like another week uh feeling like shit i couldn't eat any food uh without throwing up like and at the the whole time i was you know still doing work you know on c-130 so um you know, leading ed- edge changes and stuff where you're up on stands, taking the leading edge of the wings off and putting on a new one. Yep. Uh, I was still doing all that while, you know, throwing up in the bathroom and then coming back out, cl- climbing back up the stand and uh, working on the plane. But uh, um, so I basically, you know, I didn't get the referral in time. I went back because I had lost like a 15 pounds in that week. Wow. So I went back, I went back to the on-base clinic and they said uh they wanted to do, you know, a stool sample and all this stuff. They took some blood work and then they um they prescribed me something something I forget which the other one it was, but uh then they gave me some codeine. Um told me to take it for my cough, but um I didn't get to take that yet cuz I think it was the next day I was on the flight line. I had finished up an inspection on a plane. And uh, I was talking to one of my coworkers who was like a supervisor level at that time, um, guy, Sergeant Wilson. So I was talking to him and he, uh, you know, I was like, all right, you know, hold on one sec. Uh, So I turned around and I threw up all over the flight line and uh, they told me, you know, leave work and go get checked out at the ER. So I, uh, my, actually my car was broken at that time. So I had my buddy who's uh, still a good friend now. Uh, I had my buddy drive me to the ER that night and they did um, a bunch of tests on me, blood work and shit. And, uh, and uh, they said, you know, we're, we're keeping you overnight or whatever. Um, and then the next day or like two days after, uh, basically that, you know, they said something's wrong with your heart. Uh, you know, you have to stay here. Uh, so I think, I think it was that night, my buddy was waiting in the, like the ER waiting room. So yeah. basically like he came in and I was like, Hey bro, this, they're keeping me overnight. You know, you can go back to base or whatever, but, uh, they kept me for a few, for a few more days. Uh, I started feeling more sick. Uh, and then they hooked me up with, you know, some IV medication. And then, um, that's when like, uh, my family got the call, uh, you know, that your son's in the hospital 
uh, with heart issues. So my family uh, came down, my girlfriend at the time came down and then uh, my brother. So I think, I don't think I really realized, you know, what was going on until all my fucking family showed up. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I would be, you know, just sitting there like, you know, um, in a sense, met it up. So you're feeling good. You're feeling okay. You know, something's wrong, but then all of a sudden your family shows up and you're like, what the fuck? Somebody gonna tell me something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like the whole time I was in there, they were telling me like, oh, you know, something's wrong with your heart or whatever. And I, I had never really had any serious medical issues. So I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, just give me the IV medication. E- yeah. Even that night when I went to the ER, I was like, you know, I don't even know why I'm going to the ER. They're just going to hook me up with some like IV, you know, saline juice and like, you know, I'll be good to go. Yeah. Change your socks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So family came down there. Um, and then that's when it got fun. They did, uh, you know, um, um, a heart cath, which is when they stick you in the neck with an IV and it goes down to your heart and they test the pressures in your heart okay. and, um, a biopsy where they use the same one and they take little pieces, little tissue pieces of the heart yep. to test it. And basically, uh, so I had, I had two doctors down there. One of them had just recently graduated UConn. Uh, kind of a younger guy and then one of them was like a like just an old fucker like arkansas okay. old guy yeah and uh, so the young guy of course was like yeah you know you're gonna be fine we're doing this iv medication you'll be feeling good in like a week two weeks you'll be back on the flight line lifting those heavy toolboxes and everything <laughs> and then the old guy would come in the next morning and be like yeah you need a heart transplant and i was like the fuck are you talking about <laughs> yeah that's completely different <laughs> yeah so um I think uh so you know it was kind of that it ended up you know he was he was right but it's kind of you know there's different ways to go about telling somebody that Yeah exactly I mean But um yeah so I, my family was there uh the care in that specific hospital wasn't really up to par so they started uh um my family started you know causing a ruckus in the hospital and then the um the base leadership actually got involved, um, which was actually cool because, you know, I I was, because I I was at Little Rock for a couple of years. So I was kind of at the, that, uh, you know, new, new guy level, but, you know, had already gotten to the, uh, you know, cause I was almost an E4. So I had already gotten to that level where I was, you know, one of those guys that was like, Oh, fuck this place. Leadership sucks. This place sucks, you know, salty. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) even though I had no reason to be yet, you know, know? but, uh, you know, so, so before that, you know, I was like, Oh, this leadership sucks. Cause the only, the only thing I knew about the leadership was like commander's calls. That's, that's about it, you know? And, um, but you know, when, when I was in the hospital, that was when I, you know, I realized that like at the end of the day, they're kind of, you know, all there for you because the, um, you know, I had my, my maiden squadron, uh, commander and chief come to the hospital room and then we had the uh, the group commander in chief came to the hospital, and then the wing commander, who's the you know on an air force base, the wing commander is the commander of the base. Uh, yeah. He came to my hospital room basically to you know check up on me and and say like hope you get well soon. But um, you know they they, they brought like um, you know magazines and stuff, you know just just shit to make you feel good while you're in the hospital. So like right. it was pretty cool seeing you know my maintenance squadron commander who is a guy that you know you're basically you only see him if you're in trouble yeah the guy you'd never want to see 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I was actually in his office like three weeks earlier because I got in trouble. So, but he was, you know, he came to my hospital room and gave me like, uh, you know, Rifleman magazine or whatever. So it was pretty cool seeing the. Oh, I think I might have lost you there. Oh, you got me. Yeah, I got you uh, all the way up. Sorry for that, listeners. The Zoom, you know how it goes sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Got you all the way up until the Rifleman magazines. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, the, you know, maintenance squadron commander and chief came by. They gave me like a Rifleman magazine, like an off-roading magazine or whatever, like cool shit that I was into. Yep. And um, it was just kind of cool seeing, you know, leadership in the hospital with me where, you know, at that point in my short career, I was at the point where, you know, I was like, oh, fuck this, you know, the leadership. They don't care about us, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty cool to see him there. <clears throat> yeah. I can, um, I can imagine. I don't want to imagine, but I yeah. can imagine. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just, it's nice. It's like you're saying, you know, a guy that just got done chewing your ass out, you know, a couple of weeks prior to is coming in there saying, hey, you know, you're, you're a grown ass man, just like I am. And yeah. There's not much I could do for you, but here's some magazines, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But just showing up is is a is definitely a goal. So, what was the? Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about it, what was the what was the end outcome? You know, with the heart. Yeah, yeah. So basically, right after that, the um, the uh, base commander, so the wing commander, the nineteenth wing commander at the time, which uh, honestly I don't even remember his name. Um, I know I know my you know my um, maintenance squadron commander in chief because they were kind of more relevant to me. But right. the, wing, the wing commander was you know so high up and we really, you know, at that point we weren't being questioned anymore. Like you are in boot camp, you know, who's the (laughs) commander of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, So I don't even know his name, but he came to the hospital and basically uh, I think the, the next day, you know, they pulled some strings Uh, I was working with air force wounded warrior project, uh, which is different than the wounded warrior project. Okay. Uh, There's one in the air force called like AFW two or whatever um, for air force wounded warriors. Um, which is very difficult at the time, uh, me dealing with them because I was still being told by the hospital that like, you know, you're going to be fine in a couple of weeks. Right. Of course, you know, me as a young kid who just like, just got sick stateside working at Little Rock. I was like, right. you know, why is wounded warrior here? Like that's for like, you know, guys with no legs and shit, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. But, and, um, yeah. There's definitely that stigma with them and, uh, but at the end of the day, man, Connor, I mean, you're, you're a wounded warrior, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So the base commander came there and, uh, long story short, you know, the next day I was on a Learjet, uh, up to Boston. Um, they had pulled some strings and, you know, got me a private jet, uh, to Logan. And then I came into Logan, went into, um, an ambulance. They brought me to Brigham and women's. I was there for about a month and they implanted a, uh, a heart device in me, which was a, uh, it's called an LVAD. It's basically a heart pump that spins up your blood and makes the heart pump your blood out faster to, uh, wow. to provide oxygen to all your organs. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> that's a hell of a, an experience. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't imagine, you know, sitting there, you know, from that whole transition, sitting there, you know, doing your day-to-day MOS to you're in the hospital, you got this butterballs telling you, hey, you're all right. Then you got Chesty Puller over here, you know, somebody salty or something like that saying, no, you're not going to be all right kind of thing. So yeah. now, you're, now you're back at your home state going, 
hey, by the way, we're going to take your heart and we're going to put something in it to make it work. Cause yours yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they still had me, um, on like IV medication while I was back here. And then, yeah. uh, at first they were discussing the possibility of doing a heart pump, the LVAD. And I still was kind of, you know, like standoffish. I was still like kind of not listening to them. Right. And then eventually it came to the point where like, all right, you know, they said, um, there's a, there's a, um, there's a thing it's called ejection fraction. It's basically how well your heart's working. Okay. So, um, like right now my mine is at 70%. It was just tested like two weeks ago, but, um, like a normal person like yourself is probably between, you know, 65 and 75%. Okay. And, uh, when I was in the hospital, mine was at 7%. Um, yeah. So at that (laughs) point they, you know, if I was to get out of the hospital bed and go to the bathroom to take a shit, like I would, you know, start panting and, and have like dizziness. Right. Right. So, Almost borderline like strokes or heart attack. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they told me, you know, you need this heart pump and it's a bridge to transplant, which basically means we're putting this heart pump in you. And, you know, someday you're, you're, you know, we're putting you on the transplant list. You're going to need a heart transplant. Right. Um, so then, uh, yeah, I got that done. And at the time I was still active duty, you know, air force, um, and, you know, right after the surgery, I had still had the assumption that I was, you know, going to get better and like yep. move back to Arkansas and keep working on planes. Um, but that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, did you ever find out before we get into your, your separation period there, but did you ever find out who actually pulled the strings to get you back home into a, cause it sounds almost like if that never happened, you might've went wrongfully diagnosed i'm not gonna say wrong diagnosed but wrong fully you know yeah yeah no i know um like my wife has talked about it and uh my family like i think they were causing like a ruckus down there in the hospital um you know i was too drugged up to even notice or or right. care at the time but uh um i know i know the uh like the care down there just wasn't like where it's at <clears throat> like where you know where it's at in boston yeah know? oh yeah so like there was one time in the hospital down there, the guy in the room next to me, he had like fucking flatlined, you know, in like the middle of the day the the guy in the room next to me had like flatlined. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I just remember that like the nurses, like, you know, crying out and like, you know, yelling at the guy, like, come back to us, you know, type of thing. So like I was seeing movies. Yeah. So, so I was laying there, you know, also dying in my bed <laughs> and I'm like, like, fuck, I don't, I don't really want to be here. Like that guy just, flatlined in that room you know yeah and you're yelling at him yeah so um (laughs) yeah so like my parent um my parents my wife and uh everybody else you know my family was like calling back home to um boston hospital seeing like you know who has room or who can like take this you know type of patient or whatever yeah so uh like brigham and women's basically was uh hospital in boston was the ones who like answered the call and they said, you know, yeah, we'll take them. And then, um, as far as the, you know, pulling the strings to get the flight back here, I'm pretty sure that was, uh, the air force who did that. I think it was the, you know, the wing commander and, um, that air force wounded warrior, uh, program. All right. Perfect. Um, yeah. Because it, it was like, a it was a, it was a fast Learjet. My mom came on it with me yep. and they, um, they, they put me in the ambulance from the hospital to the airport yeah. uh, with an IV hooked up, you know, carried me onto the plane with the IV hooked up, 
And um, there was a, a like an on-plane nurse that was monitoring my levels uh, yeah. the whole flight home. And then uh, when I got off, I was put right into an ambulance. Like the ambulance came out onto the flight line of Logan Airport. You Perfect. know, which if you've been to Logan, it's a fucking huge airport. It's so. a fucking shit zoo. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, that continuous, uh, uh, continuous. I want to say medication, medica- medical help, but that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm having a brain yeah. fart, but yeah, that continuous uh, service to you by the medical staff, we'll say, because I can't think of the word right now. All yeah. the way through, definitely, probably helped you out, human. You know, in a big deal. Yeah. And I, and I have never once seen, you know, a bill for, you know, any of it, uh, ambulances or, or planes or, you know, uh, a nurse. And I don't even know what, what title that guy has the, the nurse that was, you know, a nurse while in flight. I don't know what yeah. his title of his job is, but you know, I never once saw a bill for any of that. Wow. So, I mean, listeners, if you're out there and you're in the air force and you know, or somebody you know is probably going through something that's kind of like what Connor's going through, or you know something happened to him. Look at what was that? Uh, was that AF Wounded Warriors? Uh, yeah, it was a- AFW two, um, yep. which is like the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. And they were kind of like they, um, that was something that was like almost given to me. You know, it wasn't something yeah. that, that I had to like reach out and ask for. Okay, they they just you know they just showed up in uh, in the hospital room. And told my right. family, like, you know, we're going to help you guys. It wasn't like, you know, it was never asked for, you know. Outstanding. Well, yeah. listeners, uh, if if whoever's out there, whatever that needs them and don't have them, you know, ask them if they have them. If they don't, look out, reach out for them. Because, I mean, you know, the U.S. is a big, big area. And the V.A. doesn't uh, pass information the way they need to anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically, after that, um a few months after my uh, heart pump surgery, um, they basically, it, it, and you know, it was very like, um, like communication really wasn't there for me. Right. Uh, Cause I was still active duty at the time. So, you know, for someone who's active duty, that's reporting to work every day, then all of a sudden has this medical shit go on. Yeah. And then like, you know, 30 days later, they're out of the hospital. Like you would, you would think that, you know, air force, you know, Mr. Air Force would be at your fucking door, you know, saying, yeah. you know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, here's your orders. You're going yeah. to Japan. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah, so I was uh I was assigned to uh the patient squadron, you know, which is I don't know if it's a made up thing, but <laughs> right. uh I was assigned to the so called patient squadron um at Hanscom Air Force Base, uh which is, you know, local yep. base uh in mass. So um and it was basically, you know, and still at that time, I was still under the impression that like, I'm going to get my transplant and I'm going to, you know, go back to Little Rock and keep fixing, keep fixing planes, um, which wasn't the case, you know? Yep. So this patient squadron, you're part of um, the 66 medical group at Hanscom. Um, so there was like two others uh, that were part of this patient squadron and basically they put, you know, they put you in this medical group and make you do bitch work while you're waiting to get med boarded. Okay. Uh, so I was in the medical records room and I was basically, you know, there's a big copier there and I was basically taking medical records that were requested, you know, by, you know, so-and-so veteran and his wife. Yep. And, uh, I was copying the medical records and then putting them in an envelope. 
So my job had gone to from, you know, working on C-130s, you know, swapping out leading edges, propellers, like all this shit, the cool, cool mechanical shit. Yeah. Like with my friends who I've been with from, you know, day one of boot camp. And now I'm, you know, at a copy machine, like copying paper, you know, <laughs> doing real Air Force work, you know. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot to take in within yeah. probably like what? What do you say? Like probably like 30, 40, 40 days or so? Yeah, be, from the time, you know, that, that first ER visit to the time I was back on a base was probably probably like two months because it, it took a little yeah. while after the um, surgery to recover. But, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I was getting med boarded, um, and I still I had this heart pump attached to me, which I had to carry, you know, a controller and batteries around my abdomen for. Okay. Um, and then uh, basically, you know, I was waiting and waiting and waiting to get med boarded. That whole process takes, you know, yeah, it takes some time. Yeah, yeah, because you know the paper has to sit on somebody's desk and then sit on somebody else's desk and then sit right. on the other guy's desk, yeah. and then uh, you know. So it's in the system forever. And then, so basically I was waiting on percentage, uh, you know, a retirement percentage. So, you know, uh, at the end, they told me a hundred percent, you know, you're a hundred percent disabled. Uh, We're going to put you on temporary retirement. Uh, And, you know, your final, you know, your final out date is uh, April 27th of 2017. Um, So, you know, they gave me that. I took, I had, you know, X amount of days of uh, terminal leave. Yep. Because um, I actually, when I was down in Little Rock, I was trying to take leave to come back and see my family, but I keep, I kept failing my, uh, my um, flight line driver's test. Okay. It's like this computer test. You got to follow, um, you got to uh, know all of like the flight line driving rules, basically. And I kept failing that for some reason. Uh, it's like a computer test. I kept failing it. So they, you know that was one of the checklists, you know, on the leave checklist, you know, you have to have all your training up to date basically. Right. So I had like a shit ton of extra, uh, you know, I had a shit ton of leave to take. So luckily at the end, you know, I was able to take like 52 days of terminal leave, but, um, you know, they had told me, you know, your final out is April 27th. And, um, because of your terminal leave is, you know, so many days before, Basically, you need to have this out-processing checklist done by next Friday or whatever. And, the, you know, the out-processing checklist is probably similar to anybody in the military that has to do it. You know, it's yeah. your, you know, uh, go to mobility, your mobility folder, uh, yeah. basically go, go to dental, go to, you know, what all these different offices on base that you don't know where they are and you've never been to before. Right. And you have to go there and get a signature from some lady that sits at a desk right. uh, just to get out of the military. And then they had me do the um, the so, TAPS program. So how did you get all your – so going through that, the, you know, the TAPS program and, and the separation, was all your gear still back in Little Rock? Yeah. So so I had um, – I lived in the, the, you know, the Air Force dorms, which for the non-privileged branches are the barracks. Yep. Uh, but, well, uh, I don't know. I had the Air Force barracks when i was in okinawa japan i fucking loved it you guys had some really nice <laughs> barracks i loved yeah, every second yeah. of it <laughs> yeah so basically like all my shit was still in my room down there yeah uh, so like a few months um so bef- before i got med boarded a few months after my surgery that was when they made the decision of you know okay connor's not coming back here like yeah. let's ship his shit home so um 
my supervisor at the time, this dude Castro, he uh he was the one who like packed up all my shit in boxes and then, you know, uh put it on the truck to send home, which is funny because um at the time I had two vehicles and both of them were like broken. One of them was uh like my Toyota FJ, which I had bought on a loan down there. And it was I blew the engine uh out at the off-road park out there. Perfect. Um yeah. <laughs> but uh that one was on a loan. And then my other car was like a 2003 Ford Taurus that I bought off my friend in the air force. They'll only ship one vehicle for you. So they're calling me and they're like, what vehicle you want us to ship? You know, the one that runs or like the truck that doesn't run. And basically, you know, the, the truck, I couldn't leave it there. Cause I had a fucking loan on it. I owned, I right. owed like 11 grand on it. <laughs> so, uh, they shipped the, you know, the truck, on one of those big car haulers, they shipped it to my house here in Weymouth. Uh, well, my parents' house at the time. Yep. And, uh, which was funny because, you know, when it came, I was like, cool, broken truck. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> Telling the guy delivering it. No, literally put it right there. Don't put it anywhere else because I can't move this motherfucking thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, they, I actually had, for my dirt bike, since you know dirt bikes, I had one of those, um, one of those hitch carriers on my SUV. Yep. So, you know, the bike was... Opposite, yeah, it. opposite of the they car. Actually, instead of instead of uh, you know putting the truck with the dirt bike on it on the car hauler, what they did was they took the dirt bike off and they put it in like the Penske truck with all of my like boxed up shit from my room. Because <laughs> like the whole time I was wondering, I was like, "What are they going to do with my dirt bike? What are they, is going to fall off on the fucking yeah. twenty-two hour drive up here?" Yeah. So they put that in the back of the back of a box truck, which I didn't think was legal because the thing has fucking fuel in it. Yeah. But, um, well, if they don't get yeah. stopped, it's it's all right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so that's how they got all my stuff back here to Massachusetts. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. So now you're going through and, you know, you're getting all your paperwork signed and, and everything else. Like, talk to me about, like, you know, like you said, like two, three months later, you know, you go from being in the Air Force, kind of like, you know, like I said in the earlier beginning of the show like it's static like hey i'm finally i'm finally somebody i'm doing something i have a fucking legit purpose not saying that you didn't before but to all of a sudden like your heart's not even your heart anymore it's some fucking machine inside of you to getting your shit from there to here and now you're now you're home so like how was that for you like yeah yeah i mean yeah that was the that was the shittiest darkest time probably you know um being from you know um you know, drinking at the off-road park in Arkansas with my friends and then the next morning going to PT and then going to work on the flight line. Um, You know, and everybody back home is kind of proud of me because I'm, you know, in the fucking Air Force doing cool stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm home and I'm relying on this, you know, wires coming out of my stomach and I got to, you know, swap the batteries every four hours, uh, you know, because my heart was literally running on batteries at the time. Right. So yeah, like, you know, that was, that was kind of shitty at the time. And the, the air force had let me, uh, stay in for, you know, a few months while they were med boarding me. So I had, you know, I had these, um, this medical equipment that was on me, you know, feeling like I'm like Iron Man or a robot or some shit, you know, right. just human feeling, uh, <laughs> while I'm doing, you know, like this, this, um, AFSC or MOS, if you will, you know, while I'm doing this, this MOS that like other people are paid for in the air force to do, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of weird, you know, still doing all that stuff while being supported mechanically. Uh, and, um, 
you know, so they, they gave me the final out. I did that, um, the TAPS program, which is basically the, you know, the transition program for the Air Force. Yeah. So it's like a, a week long or two week long course where they do, uh, you know, resume building. Um, All that good stuff. Yeah. How to find a job. Yep. Here's the, you know, boots to business program that's allowed, that's uh, offered to veterans. Uh, they tell you all about that stuff. But basically because my out processing date was, um, like I said, they told me you have to have all the stuff done by next Friday. So I was, I was basically rushed through all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so the program, they had like, you know, the resume building day or whatever. And uh, they, they didn't even have me write a resume because, you know, my, uh, you know, no later than date was, you know, Friday. So they weren't going to have me write a resume. So I never got that, you know, luxury during the TAPS program of, Hey, here's how to write a resume. Right. You know, it was kind of when I got out, I didn't know how to, you know, do a resume or look for a job. Cause yeah. all I've ever done was work at a pizza shop and then work on, you know, $70 million aircraft. And now I'm back at home, not knowing how to write a resume or find a job, you know? Right. It's kind of like what happened to me. I mean, when I went into the Marine Corps, I mean, it could be ignorance or whatever, but I went in in 05 and resumes were unheard of. Like nobody, you didn't have a resume. You just went to a place that you wanted to work for and filled out an application. Yeah. yeah. And then you get, and then I got out in 09 and I'm like, they're like, oh, you need to, you know, where's your resume? I'm like, what the fuck is a resume? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I kind of get your pain on that one (laughs) because, you know, we had, you know, the taps as well, the tourist. Tuition Assistance Program Service, I think it was. And uh, I didn't, I mean, if you listen to my beginning episodes or whatever, I didn't have a good good time with them either. Yeah. Um, but now you're, you know. It was kind of a joke, too. The class yeah. itself was, you know, it was kind of everybody in there kind of, you know, I mean, you do that with most, you know, courses or classes in the military, like. Yeah. You know, how many times have you been to a, like, you know, a SARC or SAPR briefing where, you know, you know, you're told, you know, don't rate people. And you're, it's an hour and a half long class on how not yeah. to rate people, you know, yeah. that so like this course, at the, you know, the end of the career, it was, you know, E4s that were like just salty and dying to get out. Yeah. And then like senior master sergeants that, you know, E8s that already had jobs lined up for when they were out. So everybody yeah. in the classroom was kind of you know, seeing it as like, you know, this is a joke type of thing. Yeah. And there was even, um, there was a master sergeant in there and him and his wife, his wife had recently retired. He was a current master sergeant retiring. And, uh, you know, he told the instructor, he's like, yeah, dude, I'm not writing a resume. Like, uh, you know, I'm retiring. I'm going to, you know, chill on a beach somewhere. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it is tough. Isn't it? And I think that uh, a lot of these, a lot of these guys that are running these, these tap programs unfortunately are you know other guys that have recently been in trouble and they have to do this as a uh new billet because they got kicked out of their old uniform or something you know oh really yeah yeah i think ours was um ours was like a civilian contractor so like probably you know a gs9 position or whatever where you know they just i don't know what creds you need to do it but i mean they they I would, I will say they do do a good job of, you know, on the PowerPoints telling you about like the boots to business program. And, you know, you have X amount of days to get free dental from the VA, you know, you have one 180 days or whatever. Yeah. And that's like the only dental insurance you're going to get in the next, you know, <laughs> however long. Right. 
But, uh, so, yeah. Now that you've been out for, you know, three years, but now it's 2021 now, but we'll just say three years. Um, what do you, you know, how do you feel about the VA now? Like, I, I know I'm about to go into mm-hmm. some, maybe a, a dark rabbit hole, but, you know, I'm on the other side of the state with than you are, and they fucking, they're horrendous out here. They suck so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so I was lucky. I don't have any of the, uh, you know, real stories of, uh, you know, waiting six months for an appointment and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I have friends now that, that have to deal with that, but, you know, luckily I, my, you know, having the, the, um, you know, heart issue, I was, I was, you know, gifted with not having to be seen at the VA for that because it was already, you know, under specialist care. So I already had it. Yeah. So I already had, uh, specialist care at Brigham and women's. So when I got out, I was, uh, I was considered a hundred percent temporary retirement. So I had, um, TRICARE prime when I got out for insurance. So that, that insurance, as long as I get the referrals in order, I can be seen at the Brigham from my transplant team, you know, for all that. So the only, the only thing I did at the, um, VA itself was the, the, the initial, you know, the initial appointment where they're like, you know, okay. You know, um, it, it, it was with a, um, what do they call them? Like a care manager or, yeah. a, um, you know, uh, some sort of manager, but, uh, you know, they ask you the, the typical things like, Oh, what are you going to do for a job? Do you have family in the area? Can you support them? Like, you know, and then they ask you the question, like, you know, are you sad, depressed? Are you going to kill yourself type of thing? You know, yeah. they ask you, they ask you all the basic questions and then, right you know, you just, you answer them, you know, the way you feel in order to get out of the office and like leave the VA for the day. Right. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. So I, and then they did, um, you know, they did a sleep study on me, you know, they, you know, how well you're sleeping, do you snore? So they did a sleep study, um, which is funny because at the time I did the sleep study, I still had the heart pump. <laughs> um, so because of the heart pump, they saw like irregular rhythms in my sleeping right? because yeah, the heart, like, the um my heart rhythm from the heart pump was irregular so it was like disturbing the sleep study right they're like okay you know we want to do another one because it didn't work the first time or they they had thought that it didn't work so i i did another one and then uh the results actually came back when i was in the hospital uh like shortly after my heart transplant the results came back and they called me and uh we're like oh we got your results from your heart from your um sleep study you know you don't you know you don't have sleep arrhythmia or whatever and i was like you know cool that's fine like i'm in the hospital right now for a transplant like i don't care what you say (laughs) right um but really that's the only like care that i got from the va okay Uh, as far as like va ratings that's where my uh that's where my frustration lies with the va yeah Uh, so they basically after, you know, you're on temporary retirement, they can reevaluate you um, every, you know, certain amount of months or whatever. I don't know what it is now, yep. but uh, they can reevaluate you every certain amount of months and they decide whether, you know, we're going to let you back in the Air Force. We're going to discharge you with severance pay or we're going to, you know, do X, Y or Z with your with your uh, rating, basically. Right. 
So um, I was 100% on temporary retirement. And then they give me a letter saying, uh, we're going to put you on permanent retirement, which at the time I was, you know, because um, I got my original rating. And then, you know, uh, like a year later, yeah. I got this thing saying, we're going to put you on permanent retirement, which at the time I was already a year out of the Air Force. So at that point I was like, you know, yeah, what's right, the difference? Air Force. Like, I'm good. Yeah. And uh, so they said, you know, we're going to drop you to 30% and uh, give you permanent retirement. Um, so, which at the time I tried to fight it with, uh, you know, different organizations. I won't name them because I don't want to badmouth them right. and have not use them. But, but hell yeah, you're going to fight that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I tried, but then they, uh, they came back and they said, like, no, nah, you're 30% permanent retirement. Here you go. No, that's, that's bullshit. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm going to get into a little heated moment there on that one because you got, you know, I see it. You see it. We all see it. Yeah. These fucking smucks that get out and they're like instantly 45%, 50% because they're just saying, oh, I went on too many marches. So this is what I get. And it's bullshit. And then here you got yourself that's, you know, obviously day-to-day stuff, you got to be limited. There's no way you're not limited at what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, they, they literally put a machine in your heart. They yeah. kicked you out of the Air Force after being in for three years for a medical reason. For yeah. me, for anybody else out there that gets kicked out of the, out of any branch for medical, should be 100%, 100% for the rest of their lives. And then when you pass, that goes to your children. Yeah. That's the way it should be. And it's, I don't, I don't know, man. I almost want to use my post-9-11 and just go get my lawyership and, and fight on your behalf because that's that's ridiculous at 30%. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what I said. And I tried so many different uh, avenues. And there's, you know, there's a couple more that I'm I'm going to there's, you know, different, different guys or whatever. But, uh, you know, for a time there, kind of, you know, the last year, I I got sick of, uh, you know, I got sick of explaining my story to another person and, and yeah. having them be like, Oh, you know, bro, I'm gonna help you, bro. I got you. I'm gonna help you. You right. know, and you know, give them the you know, sign the power of attorney, and then like nothing happens, you know. So yeah. you know, I kind of got sick of of you know, because uh, you know everybody I talk to says the same thing, you know that that's bullshit or whatever. But well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it, it's the way you know the way the VA sees it is they see there's a like so with like what you're talking about, you know, people complain about uh, knee pain or back pain just because they're you know a fat ass when they get out of the army yep. and you know, the knee pain gets them 60% or, you know, the, the PTSD cause your buddy deployed gets you 60% nowadays. Right. You know? so, yeah. But, we just, I just want to clear the air. Me, me and Connor are not talking to anybody that actually needs these things. Yeah, We're not yeah, talking yeah. about you. We're talking about the other half that's out there reaping the benefits because they know how to write shit down on a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, um, you know, so, so I, I had a ton of people that, you know, they're, you know, they say, Oh, you know, go to this woman, she'll help you out. She gets everybody hundred percent. You know, right. and I talk to that woman and she says, you know, I call, I explain, and she kind of listens to my story and kind of sees that it's something that she can't win. And she goes, oh, okay. You know, I don't, you know, I don't deal with appeals. Yeah. That's, she, that's yeah. horrible. Cause like I said, I mean, as far as I know on my level, you know, I, I don't have any type of disability ratings, but as far as my level, my knowledge of it is if you get out on an, if your medical, if your DD 214 says medical, 
Yeah. You're supposed to have a hundred percent, no matter what that medical issue is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It should be. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that, that alone, I would just be, you know, getting Cochrane or something like that and saying, Hey, listen, dude, if, you know, the Geneva convention fucking level 43 chapter 13 B Bravo fucking who gives a shit says this, you know? So, yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, I like, you know, at 30%, I was kind of like, you know, all right, well, why don't you just let me back in the air force? If I'm, you know, right. at 30% medically, you know, disabled, like I'm fucking good to go. Just let me back in. <laughs> I'll make more money too. I can support my family a lot better too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, it is something that I'm still looking to fight. I got like a few people that, you know, say they can help me. So we'll see if it's one of those things where they, you know, they actually can, or if it's, right. you know. So what I'm going to do, if, if you give me your email address, I'll put it in the show description. And yeah. if there's any legit veteran, because I, like, I don't know if you heard uh, a couple episodes ago, I, I actually talked to a veteran lawyer. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, if there's any of them out there, a veteran lawyer that actually had the same case, Connor, close to Connor's, and you want it, you know, I'm going to put Connor's, as long as your permission, I'll put your email in there. Send over your case that you won that was relevant to Connor and, his, and to your email, and that maybe we can get you some help that way, buddy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would help. Yeah, don't be a guy that's saying, oh, I can do it because you want the fame and glory. Like, if yeah. you have concrete, like, you've won this case that's happened to somebody else, send that case over to Connor. Yeah. Yeah, because, I, I mean, like, I've had numerous people reach out to me and say, oh, you know, I'll help you out. And then, like, that's as far as it goes, you know. Right. Exactly. But, uh, and then I had an, another, I spoke to a, you know, a so-called veterans lawyer because I, I, you know, the woman that everybody in the local area says to go to, she gets a hundred percent for everybody, you know, yeah, they're everywhere to her. And she gave me the, uh, you know, she gave me the number of this veterans lawyer and I spoke to her and she said, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if you give me like a thousand dollars, I can fly out to DC and fight for you. And I'm like, you know, that's not possible right yeah. now. You know? Yeah. Cause if, so that sounds like a, like a rabbit hole there too. Cause what I've been talking to with the veteran lawyer, he says they don't get paid unless they win. Yeah. So you shouldn't have to be, you know, 30%. That's nothing. You know, a thousand dollars at a 30% is a few months of fucking not feeding you and your family, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was wrong on her to ask for a thousand dollars. I probably would have told her to piss off too. So, yeah, exactly. And it's also a thing too. Like, you know, I, I could have, through the appeal process, I could have asked for another appeal and flew to DC myself and stand in front of, you know, this board of people. I don't know who they are. Right. And, you know, begged for a hundred percent or plead my case, why I need a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, at the time I, I just couldn't take off days from work and spend right. the money to fly to DC, you know? Right. So, I mean, the fuck, I mean, they put a new heart in you. Yeah. Like that's, that's what, that's why I'm baffled back here. I'm like, what is the big deal? You, they put a new heart in you. You're in a little rock. They, they fucking flown you all the way out to mass to get a new heart. Then they yeah. medically separated you. So you got a medical discharge. So there's really, I don't see where they can say, nope. Besides some fucking smuck behind a desk saying, no, I don't want to pay it. You know, yeah. we have to kick people back, you know? Yeah. Another, another problem too, is the, um, you know, the comp and pen exams, the CMP exams, okay. those are like three minutes long, basically. And okay. they ask you, you know, what are your, uh, what medications are you on? You know, do you get out of breath walking upstairs? Can you do yard work type of thing? Yeah. I have a fucking mechanical heart, you dick. Of course I do. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, unfortunately, like I'm doing, you know, I say unfortunately, but when I had the heart pump, I was doing well. And now that I have the, you know, the, the new heart, the heart transplant, like I'm doing fucking extremely well. But, you know, at the time, unfortunately, in order to get what you kind of deserve, you, you almost have to like lie during the CMP exam and tell them, you know, oh no, I can't mow my lawn without feeling like I'm going to fucking die, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and as you go into the military, I mean, I know Marine Corps is huge on this. And as, as people join the military, integrity, 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 they drill it yeah, into your yeah. head. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I applaud you for, I do, but I don't. Because, I mean, you're you're definitely a gentleman that needs it, the 100%. You should be getting it. But um, I applaud you for not making shit up to get it. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, problem, the problem with the heart issues lies with um, the, the way the VA rates them yep. so basically with if you have a heart issue and you go to the va they're going to ask you these questions of do you get out of breath mowing your lawn do you get out of breath running around a track once do you get out of breath um you know walk into the bathroom basically right and based off your answer of those questions they put you in a category of uh met's which is like metab metabolic rate of work or whatever okay so there's levels of like one, three, five, and seven, and I'm not sure if they go up or down. But right. basically, if you're in, if you're not in one of those categories, you know, based on what category you're in is where your rating lies. So if okay. you if you say you get out of breath walking to the fridge, you know, you're going to be on like you know the highest one, yeah. and that's where you get 100. percent If you say you don't get out of breath while mowing the lawn you're going to be put in a certain category where they're going to say, okay, you get 30%. So, right. Okay. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully the, the right person out there hears this, this episode and emails you with some credentials of, you know, cases that they won and stuff like that. And you, you know, you and that person go to battle and you get, get that hundred percent like you're supposed to get. I hope yeah, that happens sure, for yeah. you. You know, yeah. as I, as I can hear the little one in the background, I'm sitting here getting more frustrated. I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's got a family to feed. Yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and he's getting dicked. And I know I personally know a guy right now that, you know, he had, you know, he broke his toe, whatever, non non Marine Corps related. He broke his toe and there's like some fragments in his in his foot or whatever. And he's 100 percent disabled right now because he got out of the reserves. Yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm listening. You you got a new fucking heart. I mean, come on. Yeah. But it's uh, funny, too, because I, you know, for the heart issue, I have 30 percent. And then while I was doing my original like med board type thing, that's where they tell you, you know, if you've had anything happen to you while you're in, yeah. uh, submit it to the VA. Yeah. So if, you know, if you got a scratch, you may get 10% for it. So right. submit it. So I have like, I have my, my thumb is, um, was sliced open from like smashing a bottle in the dorms, you know? Right. You know, on a weekend night. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they try to give me 10% for my thumb not being fully mobile from smashing a bottle drunk. But because of, you know, but the heart only gets 30%. That's kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, so I want to go into the whole VMC here. Yeah. You know, how, how, how did you find these guys? And I'm kind of like, I'm jealous because, like I said, you know, be, before the show, my wife kind of gave me the ultimatum of getting my own Harley and living on my own kind of thing. So, yeah. So talk yeah, to me so about actually, them. Um, uh, it kind of ties into the story because um, when I had the heart pump, you know, uh, a few months later, 
it was kind of one of those things where like I was waiting for a heart transplant. Okay. So it was, you know, my survival rate, if you will, was not, you know, certain. So, yep. um, it was kind of one of those decisions of like, fuck it, I'm going to buy a motorcycle type of thing. I always wanted one, right? but, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it was one of those decisions where like, okay, I have the extra money now, you know, on one hand I'm dying. So the other hand, like, fuck it, I'm going to buy a motorcycle and have some fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so literally I just went to the local dealership and bought one and then, uh, started riding around. I met up with, um, a buddy who's a real good friend of mine. Now he lives around the corner. Um, and he, before I went in, he was a snowboard instructor with me at the local, uh, Hill mountain. Okay. Um, so I reconnected with him and he was actually, you know, into, he's an army veteran himself, Iraq, uh, army veteran, um, like Oh three Fallujah era. Um, and he, um, he was like riding motorcycles of the time he was in, you know, friends with, you know, another club that's in the area. And, okay. uh, he kind of got me introduced to, you know, a few of the guys that were in this club and, um, basically you know it was kind of one of those things like oh you know these guys help out veterans and they ride motorcycles so i was like okay you know i'm down to do the same shit so yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah so i basically like you know i went to like one event of theirs or whatever and i was you know uh so the the event i went to was the stake on a stick ride which is a, a ride where um you know it costs a certain donation you donate your money and then you go out on a ride on the South shore, you come back and you cook like a pound of steak over a fire pit, which is pretty cool. And, um, that was the ride I went to. And I was like, these guys seem cool. I want to get involved basically. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I went to like a meeting and I rode a couple of times with the guys and then, you know, I kind of got sucked in and basically <laughs> it was like, you know, I just started following the steps and, you know, into the prospect phase and then I did that for a little while and then, uh, you know, became a member of the club. So outstanding. So now are they, are they just in mass or are they, they kind of like, how big is the club, I guess? Yeah. So, um, we have a chapter in mass and then the, the club actually started in Alabama. So there's a, wow. you know, the mother chapter, if you will, the national chapter is down in, uh, a suburb of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and then uh, there's also a chapter in Ohio. Um, and then we're obviously up here in Mass. And then, you know, recently in the past couple of weeks, we're, you know, we're looking at expanding, obviously. And um, so we have a few a few states, uh, local and out in the Midwest, that, um, you know, we have prospective chapters. So uh, we're growing, and that way we can help people and, you know, yep. in other areas as well. Outstanding. So how long have you been with uh, the Brotherhood? The veterans uh, I think I'm going on my third year, two or three years. I think three years. Cause, um, I think I, I, I got out of the hospital. I was hanging around and then I got out of the hospital after my transplant. And then that's when I like started getting involved, uh, you know, more fully and started trying to become a member. So I think it's been three years. Outstanding. And so that camaraderie with that brotherhood, is it kind of relevant with uh you know being in the air force too or yeah yeah i mean i don't don't think anything can uh you know 
actually, uh, you know, correlate with the brotherhood while you're in, but you know, it definitely comes pretty damn close when, you know, when we're helping out other people. Um, recently we, um, like three weeks ago, we dropped off, uh, a $2,000 check and then $5,000 worth of, uh, merchandise from Walmart to the, um, New England center and home for vets, which is the homeless veteran shelter in Boston. And Uh, thank um, you. Yeah. So like those guys in the shelter are also all veterans too. So like, that's kind of where, you know, that that's a really cool experience because you can, uh, you know, you, you see these guys that are like, were once in the service with you, you know, and, and at any point, you know, if they were in my crew chief shop or whatever, you know, I would call these guys like you're my brother, you know, right. stuff like that. And and now you're seeing them and like they're in a homeless shelter. And it's it, you know, that's where it, like that brotherhood type of thing comes, you know, comes, comes back in. to you. And, and you say, like, you know, like these are the guys we should be helping out, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Instead of giving money over to Iran for, you know, figuring yeah. out their sexuality. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah so. No, that's awesome. I mean, I know I, you know, the guy I, I talked to at work, whatever, he's like, oh, join mine, join mine. I was like, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Because his is, you know, nothing, disrespect to his, but his is, they have a different avenue. If I was going to join one, it sounds like I would join more or less the Veterans Brotherhood, but it sounds like you guys are about two hours away from me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the thing we're working on. So we're, you know, we're looking at, we're, most of us are on, you know, are in the Boston slash South Shore area. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, we have people hit us up from like all over the country, you know, yeah. Mississippi, Michigan. You know, we've had Western Mass. New Hampshire is one we always hear of. But they message our Facebook and they ask us, you know, do you have something in, you know, the Worcester area or whatever? Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we don't yet. Yes. Yep. that it's exactly what it is it's yet you know yep. so, um you know to start a chapter in another area obviously it takes you know a certain number of veterans that want to start a chapter and then they obviously have to you know you know meet with us and yep. you know, basically because you, you got to vet these people you know pretty good before you you know let them just go out and and you know right yeah they're, they're representing what your cause and what you guys are wanting to be so you can't just have some random hero on a bike you know yeah yeah exactly so now as far as as the brotherhood do you guys have if i wanted to donate or something like that or see some sort of uh event that you guys might be riding some like poker run or something like that do you guys have a website that i can go on to yeah yeah um the facebook page is the best thing right now okay uh we have a facebook and an instagram um, the Facebook is like, is Veterans Brotherhood, VMC, uh, Massachusetts chapter. And then the Instagram is just Veterans Brotherhood, VMC. And uh, those are the best way to reach us right now. I think people are kind of, you know, s- straying away from the websites. Um, our website is currently, you know, under construction. Okay. But, um the you know the best way to reach us is the facebook i think that's the way people are you know communicate unfortunately because facebook sucks but that's yeah. the way people are communicating nowadays especially with events and such yeah and there's this new thing out there now it's called parlor or some shit i don't know yeah i saw it. there's actually um there's a facebook page i don't know if you're part of it but uh mass hole vets it's all veterans from massachusetts 
I don't know. I'm actually, be- I belong to a ton of fucking pages. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah like my personal page hasn't, I haven't posted anything on that thing in probably like three years, but I'm oh, all really? over, I'm all over pages, pages, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I know. So Masshole started out as Masshole Marines and yep. then, um, they started like a sub, you know, a subgroup called Masshole Vets. And it, it's, it's basically just a bunch of military humor and like, you know, douchebaggery on the on the facebook page and um they i think they recently you know they switched gears because the the facebook page was kind of getting like out of hand it was all just like you know sexual memes and like military humor that like we would understand but it wasn't basically it wasn't going towards their you know their mission which was helping each other so um like they they had to tone down their facebook page but they actually started one of those parlor sites or whatever it is but i haven't looked into it okay so now i'm assuming you guys as as the brotherhood i'm assuming you guys i'm glad i'm talking to the secretary of it too but you guys take donations and stuff like that or like how do you like so like on the um on the facebook page there's a link to the the store so on the store people can buy um shirts and and uh sweatshirts and whatnot and then there's also you know an item on there uh that's a donation you can click and add a donation to your cart and um those donations go right into our charity fund which is our you know bank account that gets used to uh you know for helping you know all these different things that we do right so you know another another thing with nonprofits, I, i know you're um involved with mission 22 so they're they're very good with um you know at the end of the year i think i saw it at the end of the year last year they explained that you know they're very upfront so they say you know x amount of dollars went to helping people this year and x amount of dollars went to like admin costs right so you know we're basically the same way where we explain you know basically everything is going you know back to you know helping people you know right. everything is going into purchasing items that are going to help people so you know we don't have a cool you know we don't have a cool uh you know 2019 you know f-350 with fucking veterans brotherhood on the side of it right you know? right as much as we would like that you know we can't you know when it comes down to it every dollar that comes in is a dollar that we want to give to somebody else in the right. form of you know either financial help or you know items right yeah and unfortunately i'm glad you say that because you know i'm not going to say the names of the organizations but there's a lot of organizations out there that started off with the same mindset and stuff like that of doing that and then over the over the years it just kind of all lost their ways with it unfortunately and that's why i kind of went i gravitated gravitated towards mission 22 because you know they've always been up front with it like hey this is that and you 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 look at their numbers and you can see like they're still on the same path. And that's what I'm trying to do with the, the podcast. Now I'm actually in the middle of trying to get my 501C, but I'm fighting with my IRS right now because they're telling me I have to have some type of committee board. This, that, and you know, I'm like, I don't want a committee board. I want me to talk to vets. And they're like, well, you have to have a committee board to, you know, and you have to pay people. I'm like, I don't yeah. want to pay people because at that point I'm selling your story and that's not what I'm about. I don't yeah, want to sell yeah, your think, story, you know. I think I think on the because the, we just did ours on the five hundred one c three. They they do require like two or three names of people that are like on the uh, e board, so yeah. to speak. You know, it's it's a horrendous for what I'm trying to do. 
Yeah, just list your wife on the e-board, and, and if you have any pets, fucking list them on there. <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately, yeah, I, I have pets, but my wife's in a – we had to put our cat down recently, and we got a cat and a oh. dog. So now my wife wants another cat, and no. I told her I'd get a truck or a Harley, and she can get a cat. Yeah, no cat. <laughs> no cats. But, hey, listen, Connor, man, I want, want to say thank you for, for getting on here. And, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, I'm going to put your email out there. You know, show credible yeah, yeah. credible um, cases that you won, and hopefully we can get you higher than that bullshit 30%. You definitely rate more than that. Yeah, and. Sure. You know, get some more people over here to, to to join the Veterans Brotherhood VMC. I mean, I know if you guys ever to branch out a little bit closer to me, because I think two hours on a Harley, then, you know, to go to, what do they, you guys call it, call it church? Um, yeah. You know, go to church. It, it's a long ride just to go to church. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll definitely get a Harley here soon. And um, I want to say thank you for, for, you know, coming on the show and telling me your story, opening it up to me. And anytime that you guys the veterans brotherhood or anything in your life changes or something like that. And you want to get out there to my listeners. Hey, by all means, come on, man, yeah. you get yeah, a hold of sure. me. Um, you know, I'm going to actually recently, I'm going to try to do some, uh, a Facebook live thing on Friday nights where I'm trying to build my page right now. The, the American vet podcast page, Facebook yeah. page. And every Friday I'm going to have an open link where guys, veterans can just get on. It's not recorded and we can all just sit back, have a couple of drinks and see where it takes anybody. And okay. I'm going to try to do yeah. something like that. But uh, until then, Connor, thank you again. And, uh, you know, it sucks that what happened to you happened to you. But I'm glad that you were able to find uh, some camaraderie here in the Brotherhood. And and uh, hopefully we can get you better at that 30% then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and another thing, too, you know, if, the, if what happened to me didn't happen to me, you know, I would still be in the Air Force. So, right. you know, this whole club and, and helping the people that, you know, I have directly helped, you know, wouldn't have happened. So, you know, it is what it is, you know, shit happens. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You know, somebody told me, they're like, you're never going to be handed more than what you can deal with. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, um, you know, if you want to find some help too, you can always get a hold of me, American, you know, Dave at American vet com, or you can call mission 22 at one 800 hit option one, let them know that you're a veteran. And, uh, or if you want, you can always text them at 838-255 and all it takes is one phone call. Um, things can happen. You know, Connor's phone call was the veterans brotherhood VMC and he's definitely found an avenue in there and it's keeping them, keeping them motivated and getting them on my show, which is, uh, very appreciated. Cool. All right. Thank you again, Connor. Thank you again, listeners for tuning in and, uh, stay tuned for the outro. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers 
bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.